I'm here with uh, Tony Manfredonia, and uh, we had you on a guest in Life on the Rock. You're a singer, songwriter, composer, and I just wanted to have a little bit longer conversation. I was really taken by uh, what you were saying about your new, you call it an album? It'll be, it'll be an album, album yeah. yeah. I guess a concept album, but an okay. album nonetheless, yeah. <laughs> it's called Anchored. It's mm -hmm. coming out. And tell us about your inspiration, what you hope to achieve with that. Sure. So Anchored is at its core an album about spiritual warfare um, within marriage and it's 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 a testimony of my own life of a, of a very difficult and also a very miraculous event in our life where in 2021 we re, we really had a major fallout uh, in our marriage and we're really at wit's end but it was through the grace of God and through a very, you know, through prayer that we found healing. Mm -hmm. So even when we were at the bottom of the barrel in our relationship, we were still able to redeem the marriage mm -hmm. by the grace of God, completely in his hands. And so my hopes for this is to inspire other couples out there who are going through a really tough time to say, please, like, don't call it quits, like hang in there. Mm -hmm. Right. And the purpose of, you know, I, I've even had some Friends and family ask me, well, why don't you just make music about the miracle and then all the good stuff that happened afterwards? It's like, well, you kind of need, you kind of need to know the darker times to really understand the transformation. Right. Um, and that's why I'm literally splitting it in half. The first half I'm kind of coining as the temptation and the second half coining as the salvation. Hmm. Um, and kind of my hopes in, in putting these together, putting this all together is to have listeners understand that like okay even if you're even if you're at rock bottom like god can still pull you out like it's not over yet right and we interesting part of your story is that you both your, your wife and yourself you came from devout homes you're going to sunday mass mm -hmm. and praying and things and and you met online was that like a catholic actually thing? no we met we, we met online it was uh, a actually through blogs. We, we had our own blogs um, kind of talking about our own. We both had some, I suppose, mental illness, difficulties, depression, that sort of thing. And we were both kind of blogging our recovery journey, so to speak. This was back in 2013, 2014. And we just kind of had mutual connection um, through that. But we weren't really interacting. It wasn't until actually I, I just posted on my own blog. I forget what the article was about, but I posted a perspective, an article uh, someone had written. It was very Christian, a very Catholic perspective. I don't remember the topic, mm -hmm. if I'm being honest. Um, but I remember a lot of my following on the blog got up in arms. They were kind of coming at me like, hey, mm -hmm. like you're a bigot, you're this, you're that. Mm -hmm. But Maria, my wife, uh -huh. she messaged me. She said, hey, I just want to let you know I really respect your opinion. I really yeah. respect where you're coming from. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm a Catholic. Um, and so then we just kind of started talking, mm. like just d direct messaging and, mm. you know, going to Facebook Messenger because it was faster. And then, oh, like, let's let's FaceTime and just say hello. Yeah. And yeah. one thing led to another. And she was like, you know, you should just like come fly out sometime. You know, I think she always says, <laughs> she always says like she was half joking, but I was like, sure. Okay. You know, why not? <laughs> I might as well. So I flew out to Michigan. I was mm. in Philadelphia at the time met her, met her family. And I'll tell you, Father, I mean, it was like immediately, I was like, this is it. I was like, this is just like a Holy Spirit moment of just like, this is where I know I want to be. You know, the, 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 
environment was beautiful. Her family was beautiful. Um, everything was just kind of made sense because I was kind of ready to get out of the city anyway. Yeah. I was like, I just don't want to be in the city anymore. Right. And so flying into northern Michigan with like the, you know, Lake Michigan, and just, just gorgeous. I was like, whoa, you know, this is overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew like, I know it sounds cliche, but it was really like this just everything fit together. You know, the more the the moral relationship, right? The the faith based relationship. Because she was homeschooled, right? She was homeschooled, yeah. 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 She was homeschooled. Um I was not. I went to kind of private Catholic school and stuff. But it was it just made sense. I was like, there's no point in me even waiting for anyone else at this point. I was like, this this all just kind of lines up. And I was still in college at the time. I was still I was a junior in, in my undergrad. Right. And so then I met her spent some time over there, kind of flew out a lot. And uh, I guess there was one summer I I stayed out there. I was staying with a family member um, to really just kind of get to know each other. We got engaged and I finished up school and we got married. It all happened very fast. Mm-hmm. But it always, I always think in hindsight that it just, it was like God's hand at work. Right. Because everything she has brought to the relationship is almost everything I've kind of needed to and continue to need to really, I don't want to use the word purge, but to kind of break free of some old sins, to kind of, uh-huh. you know, the, the idea of marriage, helping each other get to heaven. She's, she's, she's accomplished that, and she is accomplishing that continuously. So right. really, to my I have full faith, it was like, this was God's hand at work, kind of bringing us together from across the country. Yeah. And you all, like before you went out there, you were Skyping or something, FaceTiming. FaceTiming, yeah. yep. Yeah. yeah. And... But it was still that kind of that special moment when you when you went out there and met physically, so to speak, yeah. and could see each other and stuff. Yeah, I remember when I saw her. I saw her. I mean, because it's funny when you're FaceTiming and Skyping, you're only seeing like your your neck up, essentially, <laughs> sort of like. See, even seeing her walk around, I was like, I, so like, whoa, like you act, you have legs, you know. <laughs> um, I remember like. We both, we always both joke. It was like, it felt like we were just going to faint because like not not ready, you know, to kind of just, wow, like you're an actual human being that exists, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was just a, such an overwhelming, and that was in the Pelson Airport, very tiny regional airport in yeah. northern Michigan. And that's actually where I ended up proposing was oh. the Pelson Airport because that was like the first time <laughs> we, we met in face-to-face in person, you know? Uh-huh. Um, and... Uh, that's a whole other story, but anyway, that's yeah. I. So I hold that I hold that airport close to my heart because it's like that's that's where it all began. I'm like, you know. Well, there is something. I just heard someone commenting on this that they they like to go to airports to see. It kind of like reaffirms them about love and things. Just because you see like people coming to meet people at the airport, you know, yeah. family to receive, and it's uh, yeah, it can be a powerful place, you know. Yeah. Re- in fact, I just saw it. I was actually in Ethiopia. And I remember we flew in, we're exhausted. This is like late at night and this, it looked like a grandmother of the family had flown in. And it was just so beautiful to see the family receiving her yeah. and just hugging on her and the grandmother just lit up you know, like a Christmas wow. tree. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Well, what did you study at? You were at Temple, right? In Temple Philly? University, yeah. yep. I studied music composition. So my degree okay. is in music composition. I just did okay. my bachelor's. I didn't get uh-huh. my master's. Because I really just wanted to, in the music composition world, you know, it's very much like if you want to do continued education, it's so you, you're going to end up teaching 
at, at a university. I just wanted to write music. Mm -hmm. So my goal was like, I just want to learn, I just want to improve how to write music. I don't really need a master's degree. You know, most yeah. jobs in the music yeah. composition sphere, when they're hiring you to make music for their soundtrack or their film or whatever it is, they just want to know, does the music sound good? You know, right, like they don't right. care about what's on the paper. Right. Um, so for me, I just did a four year music composition. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, you know, that's kind of been my bread and butter ever since. And you, you're a music director at a parish, yep. you're an organist, and, uh, but you said like, yeah, the music you write for video games and stuff is kind of like, pays the bills, right? <laughs> yeah, it really does. Yeah. I mean, I would say they both do. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm full disclosure, you know, it's a salaried position there yeah. at, at the, as a music director, um, but I would not be able to support uh, my wife and God willing, our future family, yeah with just that, like right. I needed something supplementary. Right. And so that's what, you know, media music, making music for games. Um, you know, I don't really do music for films so much. I did a little bit of that early on, but it wasn't a good fit. Yeah. But my style of music tends to work well for games. Um, and maybe describe that, because I, I kind of checked out with, with Pac-Man and Asteroid yeah. and Defender. Oh, wow. so. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's come a long way since. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, video game music has come such a long way. I would equate it, I would equate it to, to now. What's happening now in the world of video game music is very similar to what was going on in film music during like the 70s and 80s with like mm. Star Wars and Indiana Jones, where it's very, it's become very realistic. It's become mm. people, I mean, now, I mean, even by myself, I'm, I'm the developers are paying me to hire an orchestra to record music for their video game you know wow. so it's wow. it's become quite yeah. a big industry right. and it ranges you know so that's i think that's where game soundtracks are a great industry for musicians of all types and all backgrounds because there's a place if you make you know electronic music there, it, there's a game that will need that if you make orchestral music like myself there's a game for that you know if you're if you let's say you make metal music or you're like in a hard rock there are games that need that yeah. kind of music yeah. so it's a it's a great it's a great industry for musicians to, it's stable. I guess that's the word, it's stable. Once yeah. you get in the door and it becomes more consistent, it's very stable. Um, and for me, that's what's most important. And what kind of games, like for the orchestral music, would they? It would ends, they... <laughs> yeah, they end up being, it's kind of funny, like I've kind of, and I didn't, didn't do this intentionally, but they're almost always like this medieval fantasy uh, kind of like high fantasy, okay. you know? Yeah. Uh, and for me, like as a Catholic, you know, it, Lord of the Rings, right? Uh -huh. It feels like I'm kind of always scoring things that feel like Lord of the Rings. Okay. And that feels at home for me. Right. Um, because typically there's, there's it, it falls in line with just kind of what engaged me, you know, you know in my youth with, with like fiction and, and films and stuff. So it feels at home, right? I can kind mm -hmm. of make almost Renaissance style orchestral music that's almost practically what I'm doing with Gregorian chant sometimes, like at mass, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it, it, they kind of go hand in hand. So it, right. one feeds the right. other. Are you yeah. were a good student at Temple and growing up? Was or? I a good yeah. student? Ah, I, would, <laughs> I would say so. Yeah, to me, you always, I mean, the guys that are really into music to that degree, they always seem like very bright guys to be able to conduct or, yeah. you know, to coordinate this big thing, operation. Yeah, yeah. I, I, would, I was a good student. Mm -hmm. I, I would say I got the I got the job done. Not that it's not to say that I did I did the bare minimum, mm -hmm. but I found 
I found the non-creative assignments difficult. Like I was, I, I did, I did the work, the memorization stuff. It all worked out, but I, I, my home was actually more so like doing like the, the musical theater with you know the, the drama club and, um, wow. you know I'm such a creative that I found that the non-creative things could be very difficult for me. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, but and I wasn't a bad student. You know, I passed very well. You know. And describe that like the. Is there a typical personality for the creative person, and how do you operate, function, pitfalls, strengths, weaknesses? Oh man! <laughs> wow, I could talk about this for days. Uh, strengths are it allows, I would say, as a creative, speaking specifically in my own experience, I can bring creativity to the table outside of work, right? So let's say there's a difficulty in. The marriage right or let's say there's a difficulty in our house being creative i mean i think humanity as a whole we're all creative it just kind of comes out in different ways for me it's mostly music but for others i mean look at architects or look at plumbers i mean they have to be creative they have to solve problems really at the end of the day that's what creativity is it's solving yeah, problems yeah. Um, but i would say the pitfall is organization right Gosh, my <laughs> my uh, my my dear choir. They where I work as music director. They they know and they we always joke about it. So I I'm, I don't I don't feel bad saying this. Like I I am I shine when I sit down to play the music and I can make the music sound good, right? Mm -hmm. But when it comes to like coordinating, um, you know, just logistical things, making sure everybody has the sheet music, right? <laughs> just the just the logistical the logistical components. Yeah. That for me is always, it's where I have to be more mindful because mm -hmm. that doesn't come easily to me, right? Mm -hmm. I, I'm, yeah. I, I am just full force. Let me just sit down yeah. and make some music. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, but so that is, it's not necessarily, it's not impossible, but I feel like it's something that most creatives tend to need to work on. It's like, make sure you're keeping yourself organized, right? Like my day-to-day -day workflow when it comes to actually writing music for these projects I have a very strict time of when I start and a strict time of when I end because if I don't have, especially the ending time, then I'm going to be thinking about it after work hours, so to speak. And I don't want to bring work to the dinner table. You know, that's the last thing I want to do. So I have to be very clear and very strict with myself. This is when I begin and this is most definitely, I don't go later than 6 p.m. because that's when me and my wife have dinner, hang out, spend time together, maybe go to a you know, family house or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, and this this is something like I hit up against like preaching. You know, you're having to come up with a homily, and and I and I often tell myself, you know, get a process. You know, get something that you can do. Almost, we used to. I studied engineering, like plug and chug. Yeah. You know, you just crank out the answer. You got the formula, whatever. But I haven't. I mean, there's some things like you know, read the passage. Just do some research. You don't have an idea. Just read some commentaries, you know, so I guess that that works. But it's like um, I find it. I mean, I always think that like with creativity, it's like, can you can you schedule it? I would <laughs> say the more you schedule it, the easier it comes. Oh. Right. I yeah. feel like if you're. This is something I always try to suggest to my I teach privately composition to an orchestration and stuff to to people online is if you're kind of waiting for inspiration it may strike, but if you're being paid to do it and you have a deadline, <laughs> uh -huh. you can't wait around, yeah. right? And so I find that the more I schedule my time, 
of, okay, I started writing, I sit down to write music at 8 a.m. Is everything like great every single day? No. There are definitely days where I'm like, gosh, where is this, where is this piece going to go? This track for this client, it's due in a couple of days and I'm really just struggling to get it out. Those things happen. But I find that the more consistent I've been about it all these years now, well over a decade of writing stuff, the more consistent I am, the easier it is for me to just kind of sit down and start making music. It's almost like my body or my brain is kind of trained to, well, here's the inspiration starting at 8 a.m. Like it, yeah. because I've been consistent. Yeah. Um, now that's not to say either that there are definitely late nights where it's like, I wish I could just turn it off. Where it's like, oh, there's a great idea, but I'm in the middle of dinner out at a restaurant, you know, like right. I can't just leave, you know, and right. oh, you know, there's yeah. the idea. Um, so one thing I will do is I will keep, you know, we have a little kind of notepad in front of us. One thing I will do is is keep a little kind of sticky note in my pocket. If, if there's something that like, it's like, okay, I need to write this even conceptual idea down. Let me just write it down, put it back in my pocket and move on. Or in the case of like more melodic or more you know, musical ideas. The iPhone, as much as I don't like just kind of pulling out my, my screen on at random times, if I'm on a walk or something and an idea strikes, or if I'm like, you know, in the shower, it's like, I don't, I feel like the, the running joke amongst composers and, and musicians is the idea strikes in the shower, but you forget it after you come out of the <laughs> shower. So like, I know it sounds silly, but it's, I will have it in a dry spot offhand just in case there's a little melody that strikes me open up the voice memo, voice memo, press record, sing it. Okay, at least it's, I put it down, so I'm not gonna forget this. So it's the little, it's like, okay, I'm gonna have my little notepad or my phone on hand for when an idea strikes to kind of document it. But am I going to sit down and flesh it out in that moment? Right, Probably right, not, you know? Right. And the fleshing out, that's, is that like trial and error? You just kind of try this, try this, try this, and and just test it, is that how the, yeah, I would say it's a, it's a matter of, it is, it is kind of like testing of what feels good in the moment. So if it's music that I'm, if it's music that I'm just making, like this album anchored, if it's, if this out, you know, the music that I'm just making for listeners, there's no intermediary, there's no client mm -hmm. at hand. Like I'm not writing the music to be paid by a, a, develop, a game developer, mm -hmm. right? There's no one that needs to approve it necessarily. It's from my hands and ears and computer, whatever, to the listener. Mm -hmm. Music like that, it's almost always, there's, there's kind of this visceral confirmation. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit of like, this, is, this, is, this, this idea feels right, and therefore this is what it will be. Now, with a client or, you know, making music for someone else for their project, of course there's the testing that I do on my own side, but then of course there's the approval process, mm -hmm. which... You know, the ideal scenario is you send them something and they say, this is great. Yeah. Keep rolling with this. Yeah. Fantastic. Great. I'll keep doing this. But there are also times, and this is just part of the process, where I may have an idea that I think is great for their project. So I write it out, produce it, give maybe like a 30-second sample, send it their way, and they'll say, we like it, but it doesn't quite fit the vision for this, you know, whatever yeah. it is, this yeah. scenario, this level. Mm -hmm. um, and so then it's kind of back to the drawing board. Yeah. So then, okay, their feedback, let me implement their feedback into what I'm doing. So it is, it, it, that becomes more of a testing process, yeah. kind of a back and forth. It's like with gaming, 
you might have like the overture of the general introduction of the game. Right. And then like you have the monkeys come at you or whatever. You yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you kind of got to amp it up at different yes. levels, intensity. and yep. uh, But yet somehow connecting with the main theme or something. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's something that I, I personally... I personally love to do is uh -huh. like, okay, what's the main, what's the main theme, you know, main theme being, you know, when, when the opening uh, titles for Star Wars comes up, yeah. there's the main, there's the main Star yeah. Wars theme, right? How can I incorporate the main theme for the game into the various components that make up the game? You know, maybe there's a certain point in the story where it would feel really good to incorporate that main theme. Um, so that in a way, and I feel like that's where I, that's why I really shine that's why I feel like I'm really strong with the games industry is because in a way at times it feels symphonic. It feels very much like classical music where, you know, if you go down to sit to watch a, your local symphony play a Tchaikovsky symphony, there's going to be themes that kind of recur throughout. You know, I would say classical music has such an influence on film scores and game scores because there's a almost, you got to keep things cohesive, yeah. right? And that's the approach that I'm taking with with Anchored, where it, there is there is literally you mentioned overture, <laughs> the first track in the album is going to literally be an overture, um, where themes and melodies and things throughout the album are played like you're you know you're going to go see a musical, right? And you have the overture, right? And you right. hear all the themes from the from the show, right? Right. And yeah, you know, I'm struck too, like with movies. Um, yeah, you know, how important the score is and just like to set the mood like at times to understand like what is the director what does he want what is his mm -hmm. intention with this scene how do you interpret what they're saying right because sometimes i find too it's like you're watching a movie and maybe it's like more independent films but it's like the dialogue to me isn't clear like how well, what is going on here what is where's mm -hmm. this character at now and it's like and sometimes the score is not there to to lead you to the, right, the right. proper feeling, but it, uh, um, yeah, it's just so important. And uh, you told me something before the show yesterday that struck me about the subtlety of movie scores. Yeah. Can you talk about that? I thought that was interesting. sure. Yeah, they often say, and this is actually, if I'm being honest, why I struggle with film scores because uh when you know if and when people listen to anchor they're gonna be like this is definitely not subtle right <laughs> um then in film scores they often say that the best film scores for certain types of films of course mm -hmm. the best film scores are the ones that you don't really know are there the entire time mm -hmm. you know maybe you know they're there of course the beginning of star wars it's like wow you, mm -hmm. you can't miss it yeah but if if the the you know the the, the acting direction is on point and the the set direction is on point and everything is very engaging it all kind of fits this, they all kind of work together that sometimes you're not really, you're not even paying attention to the music, right. but you know it's there, right. you know? Those film scores are the ones that are very effective. Yeah. And obviously like action sequences, for example, where there's not much dialogue, the composer has way more room to kind of get more complex and more intricate with the music because it's not gonna distract from anything. But when yeah. you have dialogue, right? When you have, let's say, two individuals interacting on screen, the music, if the music is going to distract the listener, yeah. then they're kind of doing it wrong, right? right. You right. want to make sure that the music is fueling the film, not the other way around. You yeah. don't want the dialogue to fuel the music. Right. Um, and that's, again, that's why I personally struggle with film scores because, and why maybe God hasn't called me to do more film scoring. It's because I just like to kind of get in the face of the listener. Like, here's the music, you know? Yeah. Like, that's where I, and games, you can get away with that much more easily because a lot of times there's not even voice acting. It's just text boxes. 
Um, and you know, maybe there's not even any dialogue at all. You're just literally walking around or solving a puzzle, whatever you're doing in the game, yeah. where there's more, there's more, literally more space, more auditory space yeah. for the music to kind of come through. Right. Um, and that for me, you know, that's why even I, I, I make my own albums because I just have a lot of ideas that I, I know film scores especially, like I just wouldn't be able to kind of get them all out. You know, there'd, yeah. there'd be a, too much of a limitation for me. Yeah. You know, I remember years ago, I was listening to an interview with Barry Manilow and your parents, musician of his <laughs> generation. I yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, he... You know, he's a popular singer-songwriter, and he could really, like, get the emotion quickly, you know, in the music he'd be writing. Uh, and, and I remember he was saying, if I remember right, that he, he was doing these commercials, right, mm -hmm. in the beginning of his career. And it's like you had whatever it was, so many seconds, to get that emotion, yep. you know. And, uh, and he did a lot of it, right? And I, because it would kind of, because it's something you hear that's like, you know, if you want to go into this field, just start doing it, right? right. Like M. Night Shalimar just started making movies when he was mm -hmm. a teenager. You know, I, I saw one of the clips of something he did. Uh, and it was, it wasn't, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, this guy's going to be a great filmmaker. No, it looked really kind of crummy, you know, what I saw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was a teenager, but it was like, it just kind of, it just made me think about how important to get out. Well, the Irwin brothers, they do Christian mm -hmm. films. They're mm -hmm. Protestants, right? And they, and as teenagers, I think they were filling in, doing camera work for sporting events, like for football games right. and stuff. You know, they just they start doing it, and you start honing it, and and maybe the inspiration comes later, you know, after you right. after you work at it. And uh, but at the same time, yeah. So I mean, just the importance of practice makes perfect, I guess. Yeah. But but two, just I thought like. Yeah, just like getting that emotion, that stirring, whatever it is of music. That and know. it takes time. You know, you, yeah. mentioned, you mentioned it takes time. Like, in fact, my wife and I, just for just for giggles, we <laughs> we uh, a couple weeks ago opened up. I mean, I still have like my very first like anything. You know, uh, from when yeah, I was like sixteen. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's terrifying because I look at those and like immediately like I just kind of I freeze up. I'm like, oh my goodness, like this is going to be the worst thing ever. And some of them, some of them really felt like the worst thing ever. Yeah. But what was important was the fact that I was doing it. You know, yeah. you're not. No one. It's very. It's extremely rare for someone to just be like a prodigy out of the gate. Right. It takes right. time. I mean, right. it really wasn't. I started. I guess I started writing music. I was 16. I didn't think of even writing music as a thing. Uh, I was a late bloomer to that. I was kind of covering bands like Coldplay, uh, Keen. You know, I was I was covering like these all rock bands, just me, a piano, and a microphone. Mm. But my friend at the time was like, "Hey, you should try. Have you thought about like trying to write your own song?" And I was like, yeah. "No, you're you're crazy. Like I would <laughs> never do that, you know." Yeah. But I gave a I gave it a shot. Fell in love with it. The song yeah. is very embarrassing to think about. You know, it's, it's very very not good. But. Yeah. Um, I fell in love with the process. And yeah. I feel like that being in love with the process of creating something is more important than really being in love with what you create, mm. you know? Because mm. I feel like we're always growing. As you create stuff, you're always growing. Yeah. So you're, you, it's almost like, it's almost like your, your expectations are always kind of higher than what you're able to do, mm -hmm. at least in my experience. So it's like by enjoying the process, 
that's that's why I make the music, right? Because mm. the process is great. The process wow. is so much fun, and it's wow. it's it's thrilling to me. But I can definitely state that if I listen to even things from you know two three years ago, I'm like, wow, I would change this. I would change that. Because yeah. you're always, I'm always growing. Well, you know? it's interesting you said that because in this one interview with Barry Manilow, he, the interviewer asked him, so what do you, when you hear your stuff on the radio, what do you hear? And he said, I, I hear the mistakes. Yeah. I would have done this differently. <laughs> yeah. so I was like, this guy is super successful. And he's like, he's still they call that the, uh, the imposter syndrome is, is the, like the, the, the word that's thrown around where it's, there's, there's this almost always dissatisfaction, wow. slight dissatisfaction. Because wow. again, you, you, you know what you really want to be able to do. Yeah. And you're not quite there. Your experience level isn't quite there yet. Yeah. And it's almost like you're constantly trying to play catch up. So it's in a way, oh, I don't want to use the word fake it, the phrase fake it till you make it, mm -hmm. but in a way that's kind of a never ending phrase right. for creatives. Because right. it's it's unanimous. I don't know a single I don't know a single creative who I greatly admire who says, yep, I know exactly what I'm doing. Like no yeah. one, no yeah. one will ever say that because they, they don't, they don't believe that. Yeah. You just keep doing it. You know, maybe people are paying you to do it. Okay. Uh -huh. I guess I'm doing something right. You know, you just kind of keep going. And to enjoy the process means like, like when you come up with something, it might be incremental. That's what's rewarding. That's what's fulfilling. Yes. It's like coming up with bits and building organically. Yes. And, yeah. yeah. And of course the, the you know, the conclusion process like when you finish something that's obviously very rewarding too there's uh -huh. like, a, like a dopamine spike there too yeah. but um by just the the process of coming here's this idea that i have that i'm plunking out on the piano now let me make it for an orchestra and send it to an orchestra and you know i do a lot of remote recording with orchestras out in like eastern europe like budapest and mm. uh, macedonia because their rates are better like mm. they're just more affordable and you can yeah. kind of zoom in and they do it yeah. remotely. Yeah. So I do that a lot. And like that's, it, it, it strikes me like the process of here's this little idea that I had, a melody. Okay, I harmonize it. Okay, I orchestrate it. And I bring it to all these musicians in a room to record it. Like that, considering, especially like when you're, when you're dealing with so many like human beings and so many musicians to, to make something come to life. Mm -hmm. Like that to me is just beyond like it's just incomprehensible how amazing that is it's just a beautiful thing and i don't say that in a in a selfish way i say that in a way of it's just beautiful to see so many people come together to make something happen yeah you know not not only in the the process of creating the music but in the process of let's say even performing the music and connecting connecting with the people there right moving their hearts potentially right. um you know making them potentially even reconsider things you know that's that's why not to get too off on a tangent, but that's why I, I wrote so many soundtracks and worked in the game music world for so long that I was like, I feel like I just need to tell more of my marriage story, my faith journey through my music, because in a way, I don't want to just be making music for a paycheck for the rest of my life. I want to I want to make sure that I'm using my my gifts, my God-given gifts, to hopefully inspire others to maybe even learn from my mistakes, right? I'm gonna, uh -huh. I'm gonna sing about my mistakes uh -huh. in hopes that a husband or a wife or a spouse or someone out there says, I, I'm glad he's, he's, say, he's saying this or singing this because I don't wanna make that same mistake, right? Because yeah. yeah. that's, at the end of the day, like that's, mm -hmm. that's what matters is, is, yeah. is 
is our journey to heaven, right? Yeah. That's that's yeah. what matters. Yeah. A paycheck is a paycheck. And I love I love making music for games. Yeah. I really do. I really love it. It's just there was a there was a point, I guess maybe during it was during COVID, when my origins as a singer-songwriter, how how far I not really went away, why I really did go away from that. I went through like the classical music curriculum and did a lot of concert music and um, you know, got into game soundtracks, you know, because the money was good and that it was in 2020 when everything shut down and it was like, well, it's just me, myself, my wife and a piano. It's like, well, okay, yes, I still have these projects, but I have so much more time. Mm -hmm. I really miss my origins as a singer songwriter. I really miss that. Mm -hmm. And so now that it was during 2020 when I kind of started coming back to that, but infusing it, infusing that music with everything that I learned from the classical music world, the orchestra world, wow. you know, the production side of things for game audio. In a way, it almost feels like God was kind of putting me on this journey, this very large circular journey of kind of coming back to where I began with all this new knowledge, right? All that I studied, yeah. everything that I've learned through classical music school and, and the game soundtracks to now funnel that into my singer-songwriter type of music. Yeah. Um, and which, yeah. There was a connection to Coldplay style that you liked? Or, yeah, yeah, big time. Yeah. I, man, I grew up... <laughs> <laughs> I grew up, I am still such a diehard Coldplay fan. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen their, like, their, even their live concerts they do now, but there are these massive stadium shows and yeah. with like fireworks. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, just beautiful experiences. And their music is, is it's yeah. well designed. And I think what's always drawn me to them is how varied they are, mm. right? Kind of like what composers have to do, right? Composers for films or games or whatever, they have to be varied. They have to be able to Okay, one movie might need an adventurous medieval score. Then the next month, they might have to make a score that's a little bit more intimate for, you know, a rom-com, for example. They have to have that versatility in order to kind of make ends meet. And Coldplay has, has kind of done that in their own way. Each album has a distinctly different sound. They have one album called Everyday Life, released back in 2018 or 19, I think. And every, there's like gospel in there, there's a choral piece in there. Um, and you think, when people think Coldplay, they think just kind of like alt-rock from the 2000s, but that album just really brings you through just this stylistic variety. There's like doo-wop. I mean, it's, it blew my mind and continues mm. to blow my mind. It's probably my favorite album of all time because there's a versatility there. There's a variety there. And that, to me, for me personally, is an inspiration because that's kind of what I'm doing now with Anchor. That's kind of what I'm doing now with even in the game music world, I'm asked to make all kinds of different music. Yeah, and so for me, that that's that's the driving force of and why they inspire me so much. You know, I I always hear about them and every now and then. But I, this past Winter Olympics, they had uh, the the American couple. Was it Anna Kiram? I can't remember their names now. But they were kind of struggling, and they 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 skated to fix you. Oh, great. Okay, and. And they were, I think they like on the team performance something. There were some struggles, and then they were doing their routine or whatever one more time, and and they nailed it. Okay, you know, and it just timed with the music so well. This song I think was he had wrote it for his wife who was struggling with the loss of a family member mm -hmm. or something, and and he couldn't help her. He wanted to fix her, right? You know, and. Um, but it was so powerful because it was like this great kind of, 
I don't know if the right word is triumphant music, but it just kind of built and the energy of it kind of right. took off as they would nail these jumps and you were just cheering, you know, for your Americans and everything. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but there was something about, I mean, like some of that Coldplay's big hits to me is had that really stirring quality. Yeah. Of, um, that's just, just powerful and beautiful. A hundred percent. I completely agree. And, it's I, I don't I mean, again, this is just kind of my diehard fan talking. So forgive me. But like I would say some of their strongest songs, even beyond the hits, are are the ones that no one really knows about. Mm -hmm. Like, and in fact, there's I don't know. I mean, I don't know his heart and I don't know where he is in his faith journey. The, the Chris Martin, the lead singer. But, you know, there's a very holy quality to some of the songs. Like there's one mm -hmm. that's called When I Need a Friend. And it's this core. It's very choral. It's like it's like you're sitting in a in a cathedral. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful, and he's he's singing "Holy, Holy Dove Descend," and I'm like, like okay, like <laughs> like where like are you singing about the Holy Spirit? I mean, it seems very clear, uh -huh. right? And so I can't, I don't know where he is, and mm -hmm. I cannot make any judgments, but there's a, there's a certain there's a certain quality to so, to so much of the music that they write that no one really knows about. That I'm like, man, this is this is almost this is almost a, a spiritual experience. Um, you know, not all of their music, of course, not all of their music, but a lot of it. Yeah. Um, and that's always, that's always struck me, you know, mm. that's always struck me. He's, yeah. he's not, a, he's, I guess there's, there's, he'll even use the word God in a lot of his songs where a lot of mainstream artists won't even go near that, you know, right, he's, he's right. kind of not afraid to even include that on yeah. a little bit, you know. Now you write about like enjoying, or you talked about enjoying the process, but what also you hear about with artists especially like writers, they talk about the pain and suffering, the agony yeah. of writing, rewriting, throwing stuff out. I remember hearing this one author, uh, she wrote this this whole novel, it was like a autobiography, and she wound up throwing the whole thing out. It was like hundreds of pages and just restarted. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she, uh, but anyway, I just, isn't that a big part of it too? Like yes. Stuff? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no questions asked. Um, I'll tell you a short story. I guess it was it was 2018, roughly. I was writing a soundtrack. Mm -hmm. uh, it was the the soundtrack is out now. It's the game is out. It's called Charon's Crypt. Even death may die. Kind of about you know the the Charon the, the but it's like kind of actually like an old school Game Boy. Anyway, mm -hmm. I digress. But either way, the soundtrack is actually very much inspired by Box. There's a lot of like these cannons and fugues, and so I had a lot of fun making that. Mm -hmm. But at the time, my wife's health was at an all-time low, and this was kind of one of the well, maybe maybe it was this project and one. I was only working on two projects at the time, and money was of course really tight. And um, so I went into this project thinking like this has to be this has to be something big. Like I have to make sure that this thing kind of sets us on this huge path to success. I put a lot of unneeded pressure on myself mm -hmm. to make this one thing as good as it could possibly be to make it to try to make it perfect, which is impossible. And so I would go back and, and, and rewrite and rewrite and revise and tweak this and tweak that. And what's funny is that for most of that soundtrack, the developers loved the first drafts or the first iterations. We love it. Move on to the next one. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I, but I personally wasn't satisfied. And it, was, it became the biggest inhibition for, I wasted so much time, if I'm being honest. I wasted so much time trying to improve something that, according to the, to the people who hired me to make it, didn't need improvement, <laughs> you know? So it became a very, it was very selfish. You know, it was yeah, very like, yeah. okay, they like it, they're paying me to do it, but I, I'm, I'm, 
I'm not satisfied. Right. You know? And so mm -hmm. that became a huge barrier where I could have been using that time to work on something else yeah. or to even find more work elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that was a, that year was very much a learning process of like, okay, it's okay for things to be imperfect. Sometimes you just have to move on. Right. Sometimes you have to let things be where they are and move on. Yeah. Um, because there are, that would, I mean, that was a major pain point, but I would say the day-to-day -day pain points are like trying to turn the brain off at night. Yeah. <laughs> like that, like, you know, you wake, I wake up at 3 a.m. and it's like, no, you got to go back to sleep. Yeah. But it's like, there's that yeah. idea churning. It's yeah. like, okay. Um, and there, of course, just, there are some frustrations. Like there was a, just a couple weeks ago, I was working on the track for a game project and Developer didn't like the first version. Developer didn't like the second version. Developer didn't like the third version. I'm like, oh, like I'm going back to the drawing board now four times, and it, it can be frustrating. Yeah. But it's it's really just kind of making okay. Well, I, they hired me to do this. I got to show up. I got to do my job. Is the frustration too that they, maybe they don't really know what they're talking about in terms of like music quality? Yeah, and sometimes that can be. That's that is I would say a soft skill that like most composers kind of have to go through. It's like okay, we gotta. We got to figure out this communication because, mm -hmm. in fact, this developer, there's a little bit of an English, there's a little bit of an English barrier to uh -huh. begin with. So what I'm trying to do with them is to say, hey, find as much music as you can in your own time, no pressure. That kind of sounds like what you're looking for, right. maybe from other soundtracks or from even you know yeah. artists that you like. What about these reference tracks? Do you like? Because uh -huh. that will guide me. Because you know, if the English barrier is yeah. already kind of a thing. Yeah. They might not know how to speak music necessarily, but if they can show me what they like and and why they like it, that'll at least guide me. Well, um, well my image here is like a computer nerd that might not be that musical, right? And how is he communicating? Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And it varies. It varies from person to person too. Yeah. Like uh, I mentioned, Caron's Crypt. Like they were very musical, and they they would get very nitpicky. You know, for better or for worse, they would say, okay, this one note at this one timestamp yeah. is a little too loud. And I'm like, okay, great. That's actually really helpful. And there are others that are, that are no matter what they say to them, they're just like, sounds good. And I'm like, are you sure? Like, do you want to tell me anything else? You know, is there anything you need? <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, there are developers who really struggle to communicate what they need. And that's where I really just say, hey, take some time, find some stuff you like for this specific need or for this yeah. specific track. Let me know what you like about it. You know, so they'll usually say something, okay, like at a minute and 30 seconds, I really like that instrument. Let's say it's a flute. Yeah. Okay, well, I know that they're going to really want a flute then. Yeah. You know, so it's kind of learning so, to communicate. Yeah, whatever. part of the process. Yeah, because yeah, I would think, too, like maybe they're not sure themselves. Right. And like they're hunting and whatever. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that's, you, yeah. ha you have to be patient. And you yeah. know, that's something that composers for, for media will, will learn in time. It's like you got to be patient with them. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. you know, one thing, and I don't know if this is an app comparison, but, I, you know, we preach like on a Sunday. I might go to a parish, and I might have several masses. I might have the Saturday vigil and two masses on a Sunday. And sometimes I'll say, well, great, this will give me great time to improve the homily, right? I can, mm -hmm. I'll have the first thing, which is always the roughest. <laughs> yeah, I can. But sometimes, like, when I've sat down to actually rewrite it or something, it, uh, to me, I don't think it's really improved. Right. You know, there's like, sometimes I might do like a serious rewrite and it was like, and it, 
I said, what was all that about? I don't feel like it's any better. It was yeah. different. You know? <laughs> it's like, and that quality, I don't, to me, that's like fascinating to me. Like what, what makes a hit a hit or what makes like a, you know, some movies, um, they just have heart. Yeah. And like, and it's like a lot of the particular qualities of it aren't really that good, but there's just something that works there. There's some kind of chemistry. Right. Like in music too, it's like, it's fascinating to me, like with pop music is like, okay, you add this element, this element, it makes it better. But then at some point it's bogging it down. You know, how do right. you know what to take away, what to add, you know, and. That's that, a great, and yeah. that's a, that's a great observation and a great question because sometimes you don't really know until people hear it. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think about, for example, just using a most recent example for me. Um, I released the first single from Anchored, which is called Confession. Very kind of intimate. I would say very kind of early Coldplay in style where it's basically just piano, guitar. Um, and there's, of course, an there's an orchestral big symphonic element to it that mm -hmm. towards the end it just kind of swells to this big orchestra thing. And for the most part, people really enjoyed it. But I was surprised when then I started teasing the second single, which is called Disruption, which is from an earlier part in the album, which is a little bit actually more, more heavy. There's a little bit more hard rock behind that, that people are like, whoa, like this is, this is amazing. This is so cool. That both reactions were completely valid, but the one that actually was, I was actually anticipating a less reaction <laughs> ended up getting a little bit more. So sometimes you may not know what the reaction will be until you send it off into the world. Yeah. Um, because I will always have my own little biases of, well, I, I know I want to remove this, this, this feels like it's bogging it down, so let me remove that. Like, I know I personally always have my little um, kind of tweaks I want to make. Yeah. But sometimes I'll even receive like, oh man, I wish you had just like left that guitar in a little bit longer. I wish you had left the brass in a little bit longer. And I was like, while I was making it, I was like, well, I don't want it to go that long, you know? So sometimes yeah. what resonates with people it's so subjective. It's so subjective, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, what resonates with one person is someone on the other side of the spectrum may not like it at all. Right, know? right. Yeah, I heard these. Uh, these they make comedies. These, this filmmaker and his team will do these popular comedies. Yeah. And, and I was surprised at his humility. I was listening to an interview with him, and he he said it's absolutely. They get so much out of like whatever they call like the test audience. You know, they'll they'll show this scene. They're not sure right. whether to put this scene in there and they show it to a, a small audience and see if they laughed or what they, right. and I, I, I was impressed by his humility because it's like, you can get so married to it. And yes. And you know, it's like, it's like your child, right? Yeah. And you don't want to yeah. <laughs> get rid of your child. But I, again, like in my world, like preaching, it's like, you know, I think Aristotle, when he talked about rhetoric, he said the first job of a speaker is to entertain. And I'm like, entertaining? We're, we're like <laughs> preaching the word of God, right? This yeah. is like serious stuff. But it's like, if it's not entertaining to some degree, how are you you're not going to hold their attention? Right. Right. Yep. And it's like, you're trying to hold their attention to communicate the word of God. And that's where the, the point is, the power of it is. But, um, and to me, it's like, it's like a very practical question, particular to your audience. I right. was, I mentioned I was in Ethiopia recently and I was we were giving these classes to priests and it's like they don't watch Western media. Right. 
and so like all our American humor is like yeah. <laughs> it was shaped by media and all. So I was like, I was not connecting at all. I'd say some try to say something that would get me a laugh in the United States, and it's like they're looking at me like with dead eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. and it was such a struggle, and uh, but yeah. So I guess with music, the same way, like what does move people, stir people, or I guess you're trying to find that point too, right? Yeah, because uh, the thing is, and this is something I had to swallow a long time ago, is that you're not going to appeal to everyone. It's impossible. Yeah, yeah. You know, even pop artists—they're popular because there's a large art audience for them, but not everyone is going to like them. Right. You know, I think that's a that's a common opinion. Um, and it, it can be really tough. It yeah. can be really tough. And if, if I'm being honest, I don't mind saying this, you know, where I grapple with currently in my own journey as a creative is, okay, here I am, here I've been established as Tony Manfredoni, the composer for games for so many years. And now over the last few years, it's like, okay, well, here's Tony Manfredoni, the composer and singer-songwriter, also singing about some pretty heavy topics. Yeah. And so a lot of the people who've become, you know, listening to my soundtracks, Okay, will they enjoy all of Anchored? Maybe some, because there's a lot of cinematic orchestra in there, which is not too far off from my game soundtracks. But, you know, dealing with spiritual components and faith components, are they going to listen to some of it and say, are some people going to, you know, or will some people say, okay, this is just too, too much? Like, I don't, this, what is Tony doing? But on the other side of the spectrum, the one that I'm hoping for is that some people will listen to it and say, wow, I never thought about that. You know, and so for me, that's kind of a mission of like, how can I sort of bring people closer to God through my music, whether that's for a soundtrack or whether that's me singing about my marriage and a miracle that happened to us. Yeah. You know, if I can get these listeners from both audiences, so to speak, to kind of meet in the middle, right? My goal is not for them really to think about me, right? My goal is to say, this is something that happened to me for the glory of God, right? right. This, is, this is something that is bringing me to God. Now, in turn, I want to bring you to God through this story that right. I'm singing about, right. you know? Right. Um, so for me, the, the, the struggle, I would say, is, is always kind of, it's something that I currently grapple with. And, you know, I've had some people say, well, why don't you just like make a second, you know, persona or something? Like, I don't, I don't want to do that. Like, I just want to be myself. And I, I love all kinds of music. So I want, I want that to sort of be my brand, if you want to think of it that way, where I, I compose for games and I sing about stuff. Um, and so there's, of course, like the marketing component of like, okay, how can I bridge these audiences together? Um, so that's not, it's not an easy task. Like you said, you know, sometimes you say yeah. something and they kind of, kind of goes over their head. It's like, well, how how can I continue to bridge this gap? And so that's kind of one of the missions I'm on right now. Yeah. And we're going to get to your spiritual message here in a second, but sure. I wanted to ask you one more thing about, like, in your process. Um, you know, sometimes you see the image of like, you know, just the agonizing artist and he cuts his ear off or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> stuff. I can't imagine like Van Gogh having a process, you know, or, yeah. or, but are there some things that you find like proper rest? You mentioned the schedule, yeah. like this is my time to work Yeah, and like nutrition, exercise. Exercise. Or, yeah. I would, there are, there are a few things. Number one, sleep is critical. Cause I feel like on a, when I, when I, when I don't, it doesn't matter what I eat or how much I exercise. If I don't sleep, yeah. if I don't sleep well, if yeah. I'm too stressed, if I have like stress keeping me awake, mm. that next day of trying to create like a new, like say I'm starting a new track for a game or something, yeah. 
it's so hard. Yeah. It becomes so difficult that in those moments, I'm always like, oh, if only I just like, you know, took some extra time to pray and just kind of shut my mind off a little bit yeah. before bed, yeah. you know, because without sleep, the creativity is very challenging. And of course, yeah. nutrition is a big one. So like when I first started making music, you know, well over a decade now, you know, I was eating basically anything and everything, but, you know, and getting married and kind of always feeling a little sluggish and a little tired. Well, we learned that I have like a gluten intolerance and like dairy is like lactose intolerance. So ever since cutting out wheat and dairy, those two things alone, like, wow, I have way more energy now, you know, like, mm. and it works out well because my wife Maria also has those restrictions. So it <laughs> match made in heaven, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so nutrition plays a big part. And this is going to sound crazy, but forgive me, but cold water, so cold mm -hmm. showers, mm -hmm. ice baths, like going yeah. into Lake Michigan in the winter for me, that for me is a good reset, right? So when I'm really stressed, taking an ice bath, taking a cold shower, that will turn anyone's brain off. You know, you're not going to uh. be worrying about money when you're sitting uh. in cold water, you know? <laughs> so like for me, that is a good... I do that practically daily because that for me, mm. that is that is a nice, you know, people have their coffee. I love coffee, but it's it's taking a cold shower or, you know, going in a cold river, whatever it is, cold water tends to just bring me back to equilibrium. Hmm. Um, it feels very prayerful to me. Like That's it's actually kind of nice now that I'm used yeah. to it. Like, yeah. It's just like kind of out in nature, like freezing and in, in a good way. <laughs> I, know, yeah. I, know, I, mean. I know it sounds crazy, but yeah. um, it was, it's, it's how can any how can you ground yourself? And of course, I you know starting my day with prayer, and ending my day with prayer, and praying throughout my day, that also always kind of brings me back. Okay, as soon as I start worrying about, oh, I have all these things to write, I have all these things to do, like I don't know where the money's going to come from, whatever it is, we all have those stressors in life. But being able to kind of take it moment to moment of like, okay, how can I glorify God in this moment? That that's to me the most those are the most grounded days I have, right. is if I'm like. Okay, I'm gonna okay, I'm gonna start this task. How can I glorify God with this task? Those right. to me are the are the most grounded days. Um, so yeah. Bring the put the focus on God, like seeking his will and right. His to, will. Yeah. His will alone, yeah. even if it doesn't make sense, right? I would say even like this album that I'm making, it's like, okay, he's been calling me to make some music about this very difficult and miraculous, simultaneously miraculous time in my life. Mm -hmm. It's going to feel very vulnerable. I'm basically going to be telling the world about like some really angry, bad mistakes that I made. And that's terrifying, but he wants me to do it. So I'm just going to yeah. do it, you know, yeah. um, and pray for the best. Yeah. And so let's talk about that. You mentioned your new album, Anchored, and and it's about your spiritual journey. And you know, on one level, I see like two devout Catholics getting married. You guys are so far ahead of the game. You know, compared to like a secular people that have no relationship with God, you're trying to, you right. know, it seems like it's so hard to make a marriage work. Right. You know, Christianity teaches us humility, kindness, mm -hmm. forgiveness, you know, just incredibly, you know, a great way to start a marriage. Right. You know, if you're humble, if you're kind, mm -hmm. forgiving, and and then just have God's plan for your marriage. And, uh, but like children were a question for you all. And, um, and you, you, you all had a real, you personally had a real miracle kind of conversion, right? And yeah. you're thinking about that. So the idea of children, there's a, there's a few things I want to speak about with this is, 
I guess let me start with the one that that won't take as much time. Is I feel like it's it's a common thing to see from the outside. We've got beautiful Catholic or Christian couple doing these things together, going to mass. From the outside, it it looks all well and good. But what I find so interesting is after sharing a bit about this story that I'll be sharing in a moment, I've had couples come up to me and say, you know, I've just been so afraid to tell anyone. I've been so afraid to tell anyone about the struggles that happen within our house. Like, like, like thank you for sharing your testimony because it really resonated. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like there's a, and I don't know, I don't want to use the word stigma. I don't want to use anything of that nature. But part of me all wonders, ever, ever since kind of starting to talk about this, this album and this, this story, this journey, it's like, are people, are people afraid to share that they actually might be really struggling in a marriage, even though they're Catholic? You know, do, they yeah. have, do they feel like they have to put on this image? Right. Um, so that's one thing. And the second thing, you know, with, with, with children, there was always an apprehension. And that's where, that's where, I, where I, I use the term spiritual warfare to describe this album, because I feel like that's where Satan was really just trying to come in. And uh, Satan was really trying to come in and drive us apart. He knew my fear, you know. He knew I was anxious about having kids. And I feel like little by little, especially as my wife's health wasn't so great, we weren't talking about having kids much. We were always just trying to kind of figure out, okay, how can we get your health better? That when the conversation about children, once her health started kind of improving to a point where it's like, okay, children actually might be a reality at this point, right? It's been five years since we've been married. We haven't talked about it all that much because you've just been kind of sick and we've been trying to really just do what we can to get you better. Let's talk about this. And it was like this just deeply rooted fear. Like, I don't know if I want to give up my life for these kids. I don't know if I want to give up my career and make different changes in my career and stop pursuing the fame and stop per- mm-hmm. pursuing, you know, the, the, the kind of the name and lights part of being mm-hmm. a composer or a musician. Those are the things that I thought would make me happy. Let me just put it that way. Fame, fortune, the, the kind of name and lights music career, those are the things that I thought, irrationally thought, were the things that would make me happy. And that's when it was, it was during the time, I guess it was like the summer of, of 2021, right around 4th of July, where things were at their worst. But it really just felt like Satan was at, at my throat. Like, just, just, you don't need this. You don't need kids. Throw this marriage away and just do your thing because she's a burden to you. The kids will be a burden to you. I mean, it became, frankly, very irrational. It was like I was in this state of oppression, it felt like almost. And there was one night, um, there was one night where it just, I I was at like rock bottom. I was like, do I even want to live anymore? Do I even want to continue? This all just feels too much for me. I don't even want to do this anymore. I'm out. Mm -hmm. I want to check out. Um, And my poor wife, God bless her, you know, she hung in there the entire time. She was always trying to help me through this. She was trying to just talk me through this. And it just, there, 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 there were these shouting matches. There were these just horrible, and that's what the song Disruption, the, the second single from Anchors is about, is about those shouting matches. Just this horrible, just at each other's throats mm-hmm. verbally. And it was, it was so unfortunate. My, my dear wife kind of hung in there and it was, it was, I was at rock bottom. I was questioning my own existence at that point. Um, and in an act of desperation, I was like, okay, Lord, like I'm frozen. 
Like, I need you. Like, this, I, I had a choice. I could turn to prayer or I could turn to something else, you know. So I turned to prayer. I said, Lord, I need you. I don't know where I'm going. And that's what the, the first single confession is, is about that moment. I don't know where I'm going. I need you. Mm-hmm. And um, so I ended up, what I, I just kind of had this call to call, this, this inspiration to call my pastor, uh, Father Peter Wigton, uh, my boss as well, I guess, uh, as music director over there. And he said, you know, you, you two just need to go pray. Go pray individually and then go pray together. Mm. So I, I prayed and Maria prayed uh, in different locations. And she got this call to write me a letter. She was like, it just felt like the Holy Spirit was, was instructing me to write me a letter because all of these conversations, all of these arguments weren't getting mm. anywhere. So she said, maybe something in writing will help you. Yeah. So she wrote me this very firm and very loving, very merciful, very firm, and I deserved it, very firm letter that said, you know, she says, I I put on my white flag. I love you. I I want everything. I want this to continue. I want our marriage to be a thing. You are not in your right mind. She was very firm. I mean, very, very strict and very firm with me, but it was very loving, very merciful. And... um, when I read that, it was like, okay, all right, let's 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 pause and let's let's start building from here. Let's restart. So we went and got prayed over um, with the prayer team there at, at St. Mary's in Charlevoix, where where I work and our parish, with Father Peter and the prayer team. In an adoration chapel, right? Yeah, well, it was it was it, uh, not in an adoration uh-huh. chapel, but um, in the complex. Yeah, yeah. The, it was in the sanctuary. Yeah. yeah. And so Jesus was there with us. Oh, it was before the tabernacle. Yeah, it was right. Okay. Yeah, right, okay. right in front of the tabernacle. Okay. Basically. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, and we said, okay, we need to pray for discernment. And I guess one one point to the story that I don't really I don't really put anywhere because it's it's such a minor detail. But in this podcast, I will. We went. We showed up a little late. They were the prayer, the prayer team. They were kind of singing hymns and. Um. They were kind of just praising God. Warming up. Warming up. <laughs> Warming up, let's say. Let's use that. And they started singing, God, we praise you, which normally is one of my favorite hymns. And it, it still is. It's one of my favorite. Huh. You know, God, we praise you. God, we praise oh, right, you. Right. Yeah, it's a great hymn. And in that moment, I was sitting there with Maria, that I started feeling this, this, it was, it was terrifying, but it was like this hatred. I had, I was just, I felt so mad. I wanted to get up and leave. That's when I knew. I was like, this is Satan's game right now. This is yeah. Satan. He's trying to he's trying mm-hmm. to get in here and stop what is about to happen, mm-hmm. you know? We started getting prayed over. And we said, Father, please, you know, and, and everyone here, please pray with us for discernment. Discernment for what this marriage, what we need, what is the future of this marriage, that kind of thing. Show us what, just pray for us. And they started praying together. And I tell you, like, you know, and maybe it's a guy thing. I don't know. But normally, like, when, I, when I'm crying about something, there's, like, this certain resistance where I'm like, okay, kind of like this. I'm crying, but I'm suppressing it at the same time. This was, like, this unrestricted tears just kind of started coming out. As if, like, someone was just pouring water or, like, a water. There was no, there was zero restriction. Was your wife crying at that point? She, she wasn't. She was just there with me. She had <laughs> yeah, her hand on yeah. me. You know, I think throughout all of this, she, you know, by the grace of God, she 
she was at no fault. She was doing all the right things. Mm -hmm. She stuck it out, and she she was such a trooper with all of this. I think it was really me that needed the healing more than anything. Um, And the tears started coming, and then after a little bit, uh, Father Father Peter he asked me, you know, is there anything you're sensing? Is there anything that's kind of coming to mind? Just kind of, I'm surrendering everything to God at this point. I'm like, I'm just, God, like, this is all you. And kind of in my mind's eye, you know, eyes were closed. There was just this, like a picture book of children, like just seeing kids, like running around and like an image of like Maria, like just giving birth. There was just this idea of children and this idea of yearning for that, that I was like, just overwhelmed. I was like, oh, like... Like, you've shown me children, God. Mm. Like, this is clearly, this is clearly what you want from me. And it wasn't, then there was a little bit of fear. Like, there was like this, okay, I see the kids in my, in my mind. Then I feel terrified. But then suddenly I felt like this just strength. Kind of like this courage, this bravery. And ever since then, it hasn't changed. The mm. fear has been obliterated. The ex- I'm excited to have kids. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to have kids, God willing, whenever that happens. There's a readiness. There's a, there's a, there's a yearning for it. There's a joy for it. So I think at the end of the day, the, the, the miracle that happened was not so much like, okay, here, I'm going to grant you children, but rather I'm going to change your heart to be open to it. That's the, that was the missing piece. That was the missing component. And interestingly enough, that's one of the vows. Right? It was almost like I was kind of renewing that vow in that moment. Maybe initially when I first made that vow, I don't know, it was so long ago, maybe I wasn't fully there. Maybe there was something missing there. To be open to life. To be completely open to life. You know? mm-hmm. And now I am. And, and I, that's the thing. Like, there's, there was a visceral inside my body, my mind, even like interacting with nieces and nephews. I was always kind of like, oh, I don't really know how to do this. And now it's like when I see my nieces and nephews, I'm like, yeah. oh, like this is great. Yeah. You know, like yeah. I'm excited to be with them. Right. There was this visceral change. And so this is the message that I want I to tell through this album, this story. This, it's literally telling this story chronologically through music is to inspire couples to turn, turn to God, please. Because we were this close Despite our Catholic faith, despite everything, we were this close to having me walk out that door, never to come back, mm-hmm. to do all the processes of just nixing it all, yeah. throwing it all away for nothing. Yeah. And that's, that's why I think spiritual warfare is real. I really, I have full belief. I mean, there's, that's only one of many examples we now see in the world that especially in hindsight, thinking about when the conversation of children started coming up, that's when Satan was like, nope, I want to break these two apart. Right. I don't think Satan, Satan I mean, obviously Satan doesn't want families. Yeah. That's the, that's the, 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 the domestic church. He wants nothing to do with that. Yeah. And I, I've seen some writers talk about too, like, you know, a couple gets married, there's this honeymoon period. And then when you start, experiencing each other's faults and realize they're not changing quick enough or maybe at all. And it, but like if they start having children, it's got a wonderful way to help get them through that. Yeah. Because one of your focus on the kids, I guess, Mm -hmm. but it kind of cements you together and you have that 
big motivation to stay together for kids, right? right? And maybe you grow in your love for each other as you go along. But, you know, I, I remember years ago interviewing a, like a young adults leader from the DC area. And DC has the highest concentration of young adults, right, in the country. Yeah. So it should be like this ripe market for marriage and everything. Right. And, and and this leader herself very much wanted to get married, but what she kept getting it coming up against was you'd have like these devout young men, but they were afraid of <clears throat> of marriage family, like providing for the kids and and even though they'd have a good job, still cost of living's high in DC yeah. and they were just overwhelmed by that. So they kept putting it off, said, well, let me get my career a little bit further along. Let me get a little more established. Yeah. <laughs> and they're getting in their thirties, late thirties. And uh, yeah. and she was so frustrated with it, you know? Well, and that's, I mean, even now, as we talk in this conversation, I mean, I'm not gonna deny that trying to even support two people as a musician is no easy task, you right, know? Right, right. But I think through this, whether you want to call it a miracle or whatever it is that happened, I believe it's a miracle that happened for us, for me. I feel like through that, it taught me this, the true idea of just surrender, the power of just surrendering to God. Yeah. Okay, yeah, you may be in debt, you may have whatever it is that's going on, but if you really believe God's going to take care of it and you really put it in his lap, yeah. he will take care of it. And yeah. I feel like that's, for me, that's where also the kind of the courage comes from, right? I mentioned courage and bravery. It's like, Okay, I know nothing is going to be easy. None of this is going to be easy. God willing, we have kids. It's not going to be easy. Yeah. But I know, I trust, He will take care of it. Mm -hmm. whatever, whatever I can't see before me, whatever is beyond my understanding, whatever is ahead of me, the path that I'm on that I don't see right now, whatever that is, so long as I'm giving my life to Him, I can trust that He will bring me along the right path. Yeah. You know? Um, and that's why it just breaks my heart hear stories like that because that again that was i was in that same spot of mm -hmm. well i don't know about kids or i don't know about this i don't know about that i just this fear fear is never from god right anxiety is never from god ever so to not be afraid right i know it's easier said than done much easier said than done but trust in god i i i want to help other couples out there to kind of like hey look like things are going to be okay just surrender. Just surrender to yeah. God. You had a line, and you said in the show, and I can't remember exactly now. It's something like, like when we turn to God, that basically it helps everything, or everything gets better, kind of thing. Yeah, that, I mean, you know, keep our focus on God. That it was simple. You know, it's a basic truth that was said in a little bit different way that struck me. Yeah, I, f I forget what I said yeah. specifically, uh -huh. but by by choosing to do everything, I guess that maybe it was something along these lines of just by choosing to do everything for God, I can feel at peace knowing that even when, you know, she's my wife, bless her heart, you know, everyone listening, please pray for her. You know, she's still got some health struggles. Despite that, despite the financial difficulties that we've endured, despite all of it, there's so much joy because mm. I know God's going to take care of it. Yeah. It may not look yeah. like what I right. wanted or right. thought it was going to be, Right, I think there was that, I originally was on this path of this very worldly path. Okay, well, my life now looks very different. You wanted like a piano-shaped pool in the backyard? Yeah, oh yeah, just, just, just the ridic you know, ridiculous, just yeah. like, I, I, you know, I wanted more, you know, just, just yeah. more publicity, more this, more that, whatever. Yeah. And even and if it's like, not extravagant, 
or even if it's reasonable, sometimes we can get into fear about that. I'm just right. not going to have what I need. To, right. Even right. If it's exorbitant or something. Right. Even if it's yeah. Right. Even yeah. if it's not luxurious, sometimes yeah. it's even just yeah. it becomes an obsession of well, I want to control the situation and I want to yeah. do this. Yeah. Um, but I think it's it was it was it's it's through just a complete like what is the will of God? Like despite everything, I have so much joy for whatever is happening, whatever is going to happen. I can be joyful knowing that this is the path God laid out for me and I'm just going to accept it and I'm going to do right. it. And that yeah. to me brings joy because it's like, well, I don't really have to worry anymore. Yeah. You know, we're human. So there's, yeah. I'm, I'm going to worry about something. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not uh, immune yeah. to that, but. We could skip I, the drama. I guess the real drama of life is having God in our life. Right. You know, we think we need maybe the exciting and the new, or this, this, this to be happy. But in some ways, I think, I don't know, with Christianity, I think, um, you know, in the ordinary, in the routine, in the daily, in the vocation you have in life, you know, you experience God. And that's really what we're craving. Right. Not running from here to there. Make, you want this experience, that experience, right. you know. Right. Yeah. And that's something that, especially like in the, I pray, I pray for my peers sometimes because, you know, especially in the game music world or just the music industry as a whole, people are chasing these dopamine experiences yeah. right they live yeah. off they live off of the thrill and right. okay it's exciting it's exciting yeah. but will it ever make you happy yeah you know when they were i was at a point where okay like i just wanted the next performance or i wanted the next project or the next mm -hmm. thing and i wanted the next release like i'm living for the releases of these soundtracks or whatever it is and yes okay great the day of release is exciting but then you wake up the next day and especially in our day and age people forget about it there are they're already on to the next thing you know yeah and it became very depressing. Yeah. Feeling, I don't. Well, this is this is not what I thought it was going to be, you yeah. know. But there was this resistance to like keep going. You know, there was like this. We'll keep doing that rather than just like, okay, we well, have this beautiful wife, this beautiful, you know, family-in-law, and beautiful location, a beautiful job. You have all the work. You know, you're mm -hmm. literally only doing music, and you're you're supporting your wife and family. Like mm -hmm. that's at the end of the day, like that's all I really need to be grateful for. Right. I get to wake up and make music. Yeah. And spend time with my wife, and again, God willing, our future, our future family. That's all I need, right? right? right. I'm using my gifts for the glory of God. Uh -huh. Have a beautiful vocation. God willing, we have kids. Okay, great. Would be amazing. It's all everything I need is right there. Yeah, I don't need. I don't need the extravagance. I will never need the extravagance. You know, I, one of our priests quotes Mother Angelica, and I don't remember the exact quote, but I think she said that was like one of the most common lessons that God was teaching her to trust more. And I remember her saying this on the live show. She said her, her fear was that one day God would say, you know, this is what we could have done, or these are the souls you could help save if you had trusted more. Right. You know, Mother Angelica was a person of great trust, yeah. you know, with the finances, with the mm -hmm. WTN, just making the monthly payroll and, and, uh, but even she felt that that kind of drive to trust more. And I, I mean, I certainly see that in my own life. I feel like God's always telling me that, you know, just would you trust me? Would you trust me? And not get into the fear and the worry. And uh, right. Um, but I, I heard, I love this line that I heard a, it's like on Focus of the Family or something. It was a Protestant person saying this. And they said, you know, they say, you know, what do believers and non believers have? in common hmm. 
And they say they both don't trust Jesus. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we, we believe all yeah. this stuff about God, but am I really going to surrender? Am I really going right. to turn my life over to Him? Right. And, and that's where, yeah, yeah 100%, I completely agree, because it's not easy. I mean, I'm, even as I say this, okay, yeah, I can, I can say this with full confidence, but sometimes in the difficult moments where it's like, okay, you know, you're, you know your car breaks and you're, you got to go get that repaired and it's mm -hmm. a huge bill. And mm -hmm. in those moments where it's like, where's the money going to come from? Then yeah. it, it can be very easy because we're human. It'd be very easy to just spiral down this path. Of, yeah. Well, now I need to control it. I need to do yeah. all these things to rather say, okay, God, what do you want me to do about this? And well, funnily enough, I would say for me, this Lent especially, I mean, everything I'm saying is, it's just, it's all very related to what's going on now. Like my car literally like last mm -hmm. week, like, the power steering needed repairs, yeah. and then oh, the mo and it just became like this gigantic bill, and it's like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? That my Lent this year has really been like, just trust in me. Mm -hmm. Don't worry. Mm -hmm. Keep going. Just mm -hmm. wake up, do what you need to do that day, mm -hmm. and I will take care of the rest. Yeah. And that's been hard. I mean, it's been All hard, right. but it's it's what we need. Yeah. Because it also brings peace. Right. You know, if you can really lean into it, if you can really, you know, one of the lyrics. Um, for a song uh, on Anchored, is, the song is called Visions from God, which is very much about that moment of healing, the moment of prayer. Mass, this big, it's going to be this big orchestra thing. Um, that one should be out in uh, either late April or May. I haven't, I haven't uh, solidified the date for that one, but that song, that single, will be very much about that moment. And the lyrics are actually quite simple. The lyrics for the song repeat over and over, I'm letting go, mm -hmm. I surrender. I'm letting go. I surrender. And there's a bit of, you know, Lord, please, you know, please show us what you, you have for us. And I see children. There's, the, there's that whole story that happens. But for the most part, the tail ends of the song are, I'm letting go. I surrender. Yeah. I let go. Because really, it's, it's such a cliched, you know, let go and let God. It's such a simple phrase. It's a, such a cliched phrase, but it's so important. Mm. It's so important. And it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's simple, but it's hard. Right. And your wife had her own journey, right? Like in fear of children, maybe with her health, right? Mm -hmm. You said, having, I guess, having the strength to be a mother and yeah. be there for the kids. 100%. And, yeah. I mean, and that's something that as she continues to recover uh, from her own health difficulties, it's a continued, I'd say it's still a continued part of our um, our prayer, you yeah. know, together. Right. Like pray, praying for her, especially for mm -hmm. her courage and, and her, her, uh, her health, ultimately. Because I mean, and I think anyone can relate to this. Like, if you don't feel like if you physically don't feel well, yeah. If you physically struggle to even get out of bed physically, mm -hmm. it's like even the sheer thought of like sometimes even like going to work. It's like, gosh, yeah. how am I going to do this? Yeah, you know. So I can't, you know, I can't blame her for for those fears. Mm -hmm. But I think through, I guess what what am I what am I what I'm trying to say is even through my own knowing that I'm I have the I have the willingness and the, and the openness now, especially and the courage and the bravery and the the eagerness, that has exponentially taken her previous fears down as well. It became kind of a hand-in-hand -hand situation because now she feels like she can really rely on me more, yeah. which is important, right? Yeah. That's, an, that's a very critical thing in marriage, I'd say. It's like if you can rely on each other fully, if you can trust, right? Talking about trust, mm -hmm. if you can trust each other, that yeah. if one is not doing well, the other will step up right. and vice versa. Yeah. That's a very important component. And that yeah. was missing before. That was missing before, for sure. Yeah. And you, you said on the show, like, yeah, marriage is about togetherness and children, right? The, right. And I thought that's what Yamani Vite said, you know, the procreative aspect, the unitive aspect of marriage, right. the two ends or meanings, purposes of marriage. And uh, 
I thought that was beautifully stated. And, and I, I think, you know, when we're facing fear in life, whatever it is, you know, we can get paralyzed. And, you know, some things I've discovered too is, you know, maybe just get more information about it, you know, right. and I don't know, with kids, you know, maybe, you know, get to know couples that are having kids, you know, they right. can tell you um, maybe some of the fears they overcome or something mm -hmm. like that, you know, get some data, some information and, and yeah, and uh, you know, this sounds kind of silly, but I, like I mentioned, I, I just got back from this trip from Ethiopia and I had, I had fear about, you know, they've got malaria, they've got typhoid over there, right. they've got yellow fever, they've got <laughs> all this stuff yeah. going on. And uh, <clears throat> I was going with this group and the leader of the group, you know, there's a, a sister and she, she was telling me about previous trips she's made and, and they've had some harrowing experiences, mm -hmm. you know, people get really sick and stuff. And, uh, but I knew she wouldn't just like leave me over there, right? right? Yeah. Okay, we're gonna check you to this hospital. We gotta go, yeah. but they'll take care of you. Uh, we'll write down these instructions for the doctors. Or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, but that that I, it sounds silly to me now, kind of in some ways. But it's like I knew they were they were committed. You know, not right. leave you in the field, kind right. of thing. Right. And uh, but I imagine that's what with marriage too. It's like, hey, I'm I'm committed. We've made vows. Right. I'm not and checking out. On exactly, this, and that's. Know? That's where the tension point was. Where, and frankly, you know, again, for anyone listening who is married or is considering marriage, if I could turn back the clock, if I could do things over, and obviously we can't, so I live, I learn, and I, I share my experiences to help others, but would be to not even have the word divorce, to not even have the word splitting up, even come into the conversation. Mm -hmm. Let that be something that is kind of an unquestionable, irrevocable promise that that isn't even an option right right because it was even talking about that mm -hmm. talking about walking out the door talking about well did we even make the right choice with this marriage did we yeah. did we do the right thing yeah. if you married yourself if you got married under you know the vows and before god that's not even a question right? <laughs> that has to be a foundational part of, of of i would say the marriage like it gets mm -hmm. what i mean if i could turn back the clock that's what we, and we, both my wife, Maria and I, we, we both say that. Like, if we could just turn back the clock, that's the one thing, the one thing that probably would have solved all of this is if we just didn't even bring that up as an option, right? right? If we didn't even let the arguments get to that point of, right. well, you know, this, this isn't, like, did we even make the right choice? Right, did we even right. do the right thing? Yeah. Um, that shouldn't even be part of the equation. Yeah. Um, and that's, and I think that the full commitment kind of saying, like, I am in this for life, no matter what, mm -hmm. if that is if that is really and truly and wholly there, it 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 will prevent things from escalating as bad as it did for us. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I see that theme in a lot of things too. That that just like staying in the present moment and um, again, I, you know, in Ethiopia, you know, that a lot of people there like subsistence farming you know and they, right. they have to live in the present moment you know yeah. they don't they don't seem to be that big into reflection and questioning and stuff mm -hmm. you know <laughs> it's like but when you accept that kind of I don't know there's a freedom and a joy and a peace I think we went to this parish in the rural countryside and yeah. uh, and I was struck by their you know they didn't have cars they didn't have running water they didn't have electricity right. and it's like uh, but they 
they had this peace and joy and um and i even had trouble like i tried to do a podcast and things and interview people and just to get them then to reflect or kind of give me the big picture i was trying to understand the culture and i just right. couldn't quite get there and i and i some of it maybe was language barrier problems but probably most of it. but <laughs> at the same time i just thought as americans we're constantly reflecting on ourselves we're constantly yeah. you know taking our pulse to see how am i doing today how am i feeling today you know in some way it's so kind of self-focused right. and like um we can live a comfortable life in many ways and uh and it seems like it has a way of taking us out in the present moment like right. where we find god where we're rooted where our feet are at you know right. and uh no i i agree yeah. and i i i believe you know, that's why you see a lot of, like you said, a lot of like cultures who don't have the comforts of America yeah. tend to be happier. <laughs> you would think, right? Yeah. It would be the opposite. Yeah. Right. It's, right. It's, it's very power. It's a very powerful yeah. lesson to be learned. I, yeah. I, um, you know, we always kind of say, it's like, I, f I feel like America's just kind of become a little too comfortable. Right. right. And that's, that's one of the lessons learned again, just as, as a side tangent, like that's, that's, you know, after the, all of this happened with the, the miraculous changing in my heart, it's like, okay, well, how can I, how can I, what can I do to keep myself this way, right? Like, what can I do? Yes, I know, Lord, you're at work and you changed something in me, but what can I do proactively to keep myself grounded, to keep the anger kind of subsided and, you know, praise God, and nothing ever has ever even gotten close to that point ever since then. And it's funny that... After praying a little bit about that and just kind of reflecting, I had two friends come up to me and they said, "You know, I've been doing this thing with this cold water. Like I've been going in like these ice baths and these cold showers, and it's been very, very grounding." And I'm like, "That sounds cool, you know." So I started taking cold showers, and you know, that's like you said, it brings you back to the present moment of like, you're not really going to be worrying about anything when you're feeling kind <laughs> you're of freezing. Cold. To you're freezing, yeah. <laughs> Right, and it's all very controlled. Like, if, if anyone's listening, don't go. And, you know, there's a process to it. So, do your research. Right, there's plenty of YouTube videos on this. Um, I don't recommend everyone just jumping in cold water immediately. But there's uh, there is a there's a there's a very grounding element. There's a very much like you 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 learn to find comfort and discomfort. That's that's probably the best way to describe it. Is it's an uncomfortable situation. Mm -hmm. Can I be comfortable in this situation? Yeah. Can yeah. I mentally, psychologically? Yeah calm myself down in this situation. Mm -hmm. And what I found that has helped me, you know, I don't like flying, if I'm being yeah, honest. I do not yeah. like being on planes. Yeah. And ever since doing kind of this cold water stuff, I was able to just kind of, okay, I'm on, the, I'm on, I'm on a plane, I'm seven miles in the air, whatever it is. <laughs> it's like, okay, I can keep myself grounded, yeah. right? This is uncomfortable, but I'm good, mm -hmm. right? So it's, it's, it's all, and I think for me, with the, the, the biggest draw for me was it's, it's a very natural thing, which is I'm literally just putting my, myself in, in a bathing suit in the middle of winter in, in Lake Michigan, right? <laughs> Maybe to some it'd be unnatural, but it, it's it's just it's just God's creation, right? It's God's yeah. creation. Yeah. Um, and so for me, I think I think that the 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 idea of comfort and discomfort is just America society is very. We have a lot of comforts. Yeah. And you can it makes me wonder. Now I don't know for sure, but it does make me wonder. Okay, we see so much chaos spiritually, you know. Mm -hmm. psychologically happening in, in, in our country that I often wonder if it's related. You know, yeah. you, you, you yeah. look at these other countries that don't have the yeah. comforts and they're happy. They, you know, everything kind of makes sense to them. Yeah. They're just going about their day. They're very present. 
they're not really making. That's a good way to put it. Everything you know? makes sense to them. It's like we're always trying to make sense of you know, what's yeah. going on. You know, they, they wake up yeah. and they have to. They have to yeah. feed their family. Yeah, yeah. And they have to survive. Yeah, you yeah. know, yeah. and and they're happy about it. Yeah, I mean, it, it. It's like I think the call to do penance, right? The the Christian is called to do penance, right? Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, and you know, every Friday that. Yeah, the church instructs people to, to do some form of penance and um, like dying to ourselves and right and just not this endless seeking of comfort or just getting the right thing of off of Amazon that I need to make right. my life better or something. Right. And it's like, um, yeah, because I could just be like this endless search of, you know, we get obsessed with it. if I just had this thing or this thing, you know, yeah. and. Uh, maybe I just need to live a little simpler and and die to my own needs and wants a little right. bit, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's a, a uh, one of Bishop Fulton Sheen's talks. He mentions, you know, he quotes basically scripture. You know, if anyone has a mind to come my way, take up your cross and follow me. Right, this idea of cross. Right, and I think it was actually in one of his marriage talks. Yeah, he mentions that of marriage being a cross. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe it's more of a cross than for others. Maybe it's right. less of a cross for some. Right. But I feel like marriage is a big cross sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, because it requires real love, requires sacrifice. It requires a, you know, there, are, there have been times, even since this change of heart over, you know, the past couple of years, where still, you know, it's like, well, my mind wants to do one thing, but my wife needs this thing. And it's like, <laughs> well, just got to, you know, yeah. just got to do that. Yeah. You just gotta do it and right. make that sacrifice and do that. Yeah. And that's yeah. and I mean, I mean, I am not being holier than now because I'm sure she feels the exact same way with me. She right. probably wants to do something, but Tony needs this, you know. Yeah. So, um, so it's you know the the idea of a cross, huge in marriage. And I feel like you know the saints would say that uh, maybe it was Mother Teresa or Saint Therese. I forget which one. I think there was a story where she like. Fell, she like fell in like a mud pit or something. Teresa of Avila. Teresa yeah, Avila, yeah, that's yeah, what it was. Yeah. Okay, Teresa of Avila. And she looked up and said like, you know. <laughs> if this is the way you treat your friends. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm, I'm not surprised you have so little friends. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And it's, it's yeah. powerful though, because yeah. I feel like the, the more we, you know, there's the phrase of, 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 he won't give you a cross you can't carry. Yeah. So naturally, the holier you try to become, the bigger the cross you might end up getting, right? Yeah, because you have more yeah. strength to carry it. Right, right. And to me that, I know it sounds crazy to maybe these people, but like I, I smile and I think about it. It's like, great, bring it on. Like, <laughs> let me carry that cross, you know? Uh, yeah. um, so it's exciting, I think. Yeah, yeah. The drama of life. Well, thank you so much, Tony, for talking with us. It's been a great discussion. And uh, thank you for your witness. Thank you for having me, Father. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm.